Hej och välkomna till Fritankespodd. Jag heter Christer Sturmark, förlagschef på förlaget Fritanke. Idag gästas vi i podden av Loretta Napoleoni, en internationell terroristexpert som har skrivit många böcker om terrorism av olika sorter, hur terrorism organiseras och finansieras. Loretta är en, en spännande tänkare inom det här området. Hennes två böcker... Islamiska staten och kidnappningsindustrin har kommit ut på svenska på Fritankeflag. Och i den här podden så diskuterar jag med henne utvecklingen just nu i världen. Inte minst vad som sker i Nordkorea och spänningsfältet mellan Nordkorea och USA just nu. Men också Trump och just kidnappningsindustrin. Vi har ju haft ett svenskt case som ju slutade lyckligt faktiskt nyligen. Johan Gustafsson blev fri efter sex år. Många sådana fall slutar tyvärr inte lika lyckligt som det. Och den frågan man ställer sig är ju förstås var det kidnappnings- eller vad heter det, lösensummor involverade eller inte. Svenska staten säger absolut inte. Loretta säger absolut. Lyssna på Loretta Napoleoni. Välkomna. Så, Loretta Napoleoni, welcome to Fritankes podd. Thank you. Um, you have written two books that uh, recently that are translated into Swedish. Uh, the first one is about the Islamic State and the second about the kidnapping industry. Uh, as you probably know, we've had a happy ending kidnapping case in Sweden where Johan Gustafsson was released after five years. No, everybody says that no ransom was paid. What's your comment on that? Uh, no, for sure the ransom was paid. Um, uh, there are some uh, sources uh, uh, from uh, the jihadist uh, world, but also from the security world that claim that the ransom was around 6 million uh, euros. Um, a similar ransom has been paid also for the second hostage, which was released uh, just a month after uh, is from uh, South Africa. So the same source said that the total amount is about 6 million euros for the two. Can you explain to me where Where does the money come from? I mean, it, it should be visible somewhere in the state budget if you take that kind of money. Well, I mean, number one, we don't know if the ransom has been paid directly by the Swedish government or if the ransom has been paid by the family, partly by the family, partly by some other organization. Uh, so you never know the origins. But most of the time, of course, the money comes from taxpayers' money. Uh, it's very easy to hide this kind of transaction because often what happens is that the actual cash is delivered by friendly uh, Muslim countries, for example, you know, Gulf states uh, or even aid organizations. And then the money is returned to them through aid, for example, donations. So you never see it in, in the actual budget. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, so, so, so what you're saying is that there is always a ransom, even when they deny it. Yes, there's always a ransom. Uh, um, the ransom could also not necessarily be cash, can be exchange of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 
something that the U.S. and also the U.K. do often. So you have somebody uh, in prison or in Guantanamo, for example, uh-huh. and then you know you exchange that individual for you know the hostage. Would you say what what would you say that the kidnapping industry plays for role in the world economy today and in the, the terrorist problem of the world today? Well, I would say that uh, kidnapping uh, is one of the primary source of terrorist financing for uh, jihadist organization, Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb, for example, uh, which is the organization that created this model, but it's also the organization that released the Swedish hostage and <clears throat> the South African hostage, uh, for sure, is, is bankrolling its activity primarily with the payment of ransom. Uh, now, these two hostages, uh, I think, were among the last one uh, available because they were, in fact, in um, captivity for five and a half years. Uh, the business uh, has been dying out for quite some time because it's very difficult to find foreigners in those areas. Um, although, although they're still quite... Uh, a lot of kidnapping taking place uh, in the commercial uh, industry, meaning people that go there to work for companies, uh, uh, they get kidnapped. But you never know about them because the negotiation uh-huh. is done privately by the various corporations. Uh, that's the case of Libya, for example. Okay. Very, very common. So they never get to the media's attention at all? No, they never get to the media. So, so the, the uh-huh. negotiations generally are conducted in... Uh, Uh, total secrecy. Um, in Libya, we had um, four cases uh, recently of Italians. Um, they were kidnapped and then released. Uh, and of course, the media learned about that only when you know, the release was done. So, so in a way, we we are financing the terrorism activity through these ransoms. Yes, we are. We are financing the terrorist activity. Of course, we don't know. I mean, this is a secret. Mm. Um, it's uh, nobody mm. is is linking the dots at political level or even at the media level. But you know, yes, the fact of what we're seeing in an organization like Al Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb uh, was born in 2003 thanks to the first major kidnapping of 32 Europeans uh, with those money, the money of the ransom. They actually funded Al Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb, so they didn't get money from anybody else. It's a totally self-funded organization, mm-hmm. which of course was done with our money. Yeah, yeah I see. So how how should we how should we do differently? Do you think? Well, I th- I think you know what we need is uh, um, a global strategy, which is of course impossible to achieve because if you have one country which will pay the ransom uh, of any kind, even you know exchange of uh, um, prisoners, uh, then uh, you can't uh, fight this kind of phenomenon. So I would say that perhaps the, the alternative strategy is to pacify those areas. So work on the territory in order to remove a phenomenon like Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb. I'll give you an example. The, the, the release of the two hostages um, this summer um, is possibly linked to an attack in Ouagadougou uh, in Burkina Faso just three days before the attack in Barcelona. And this was an attack carried out by a commando 
of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb. Now, Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb is very interested in the process of destabilization of West Africa because, of course, this is where it grows. The more destabilization, the better it is. Now, Burkina Faso has been a country that actually has been trying desperately to bring about a a development um, which has been promoted by a sort of um, middle class. So this is not the first attack of this kind. So the attack is always directed um, towards the community of African businessmen who are doing business in Burkina Faso. So that gives you the idea of what is the Al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb strategy. So how do we fight that? We support that community. We actually encourage economic development. We encourage the birth of a middle class or a bourgeois class in Africa. I think that is a much better strategy than hoping to stop everybody from paying ransoms. Mm-hmm, I see. Do you, do you think there are are there countries who actually never pays ransoms and let their kidnapping victims die basically? No, I don't think so. I think it depends on how important uh, mm-hmm. is the hostage. Mm-hmm, okay. Okay, so if you're a nobody and you are American, um it is likely that they will not do anything. Mm-hmm. Although now the legislation has changed, so your family is actually able to do something. But let's say if you are a soldier, an American soldier, for sure, there is always going to be a negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, again, no cash necessarily, but exchange mm. imprisonment. Okay, the situation now in the world with uh, ISIS uh, losing territory or in every place. Um, what do you think about this development right now? Are we seeing the end of ISIS? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, what ISIS is doing is the same thing that it did in 2005. I mean, it's regrouping. It's now concentrating in defending an area, which is Dar al-Aziz, which is south of Raqqa, all the way down along the border between Syria and Iraq, all the way down to Al-Qaim, basically, which is, you know, that across the border in Iraq. Now, this is an area with 200,000 people live there. Um, It's all Sunni, uh, very tribal. Mm, It's also an area that was particularly targeted by the Assad regime. So these are people that absolutely hate the regime. So they welcome the arrival of um, ISIS is one of the first areas that they conquer. It is the area where there is uh, the largest production of oil in eastern Syria. So um, financially, it's also quite stable because they can still sell oil to the regime in Damascus because due to the sanction, of course, you know, <laughs> Um, Assad can't buy oil anywhere else. Well, he can get it from the Iranians, but it comes at a price, mm-hmm. which is you know political influence price. <coughs> so mm, they're doing business. Uh, it's also geopolitically an area where the U.S. and the coalition can do very little. Uh, because, of course, here we have the interests of Russia, the interests of Iran. We have you know, the presence, of course, of Damascus, the dependency of Damascus from this. So it it is actually an area that they can uh, 
consolidate very easily and where they could feel relatively safe. So they will stay there and wait until because the situation in Iraq degenerates once more. Because what we're seeing happening in Iraq at the moment is that the Kurds and the Iraqis are moving into the areas that before were under the caliphate. And of course, they are discriminating once again against the Sunni. So there is not a reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Sunni will once again <laughs> feel... Um, oppress mm. and welcome ISIS you mean exactly in a, to a certain extent absolutely yeah. in Syria what we're seeing is that the Kurds are cooperating with the Assad regime in many of those areas where the caliphate was so so once again we will get the same kind of phenomenon so ISIS will sit and wait in the meantime of course will invest abroad so we will see more and more attacks taking place in Europe and in the rest of the world terror attacks yes yeah. terror attacks mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that the enemies of ISIS are actually doing oil business with ISIS. Yes, of, of mm. course, yes. But because, I mean, they're doing oil business with ISIS because they have no choice. Mm. I mean, so this is the problem. And I think, you know, ISIS knows it very well. The, there is not a, a front between uh, one side and another side. But there are many fronts. So Assad... Uh, is there because of the Russian and the Iranians, but the Americans will want to get rid of Assad and so will the allies. So the Americans actually have two enemies, which is Assad on one side and the Islamic State on the other side. So the enemy or my enemy can be my friend. Yeah, yeah. But uh, would could you could you identify a strategy that with ISIS that would get rid of the terror attacks in Europe, for example? Could we deal with this in another way? Well, I don't think so. I think um, <clears throat> I think the message is very clear. At the beginning of uh, this year, it was retaliated yet again that people should not travel to uh, the caliphate. Um, I mean, for a start, it's impossible to travel to the caliphate because you know, you'll be blocked by you know the European governments anyway. So. Um, and also you can't cross the border anymore from Turkey. Um, Turkey has become an Islamic country. I mean, things have changed dramatically since 2014. So um, basically, these people who are sympathizers, supporter, because ISIS is continuing to have a tremendous appeal among certain kind of individuals. Uh, they want to be part uh, of this phenomenon. They want to do something. Uh, and of course, you know, the only thing they can do is become terrorist. Mm. So are you going to stop it? Uh, I don't think we're going to stop it through integration either um, because the integration is a long-term process. And here we're t- talking about things that are happening today. Mm. So w- what, what kind of attraction is, it, is this? Why is it attractive to be a part of this? Well, I think it's attractive because it's still a nationalist um, project. It's still the nation. It's still the idea to create uh, the first truly Muslim nation without the Europeans or foreign powers drawing the borders. It's the um, rebirth of the caliphate, which is you know, the only political expression in the history of Islam. I mean, there is a, a very strong... I mean, the same appeal 
that we saw in 2014 is there. I mean, the fact that uh, ISIS is smaller, that the territory has shrunk, that uh, <clears throat> the, uh, there have been many defeats, doesn't change the mm-hmm. ideological message. It doesn't. Um, it's almost like saying, oh, well, yeah, um, communism uh, would never have existed uh, uh, without several victories. I mean, communism is an idea. So, you know, um, what, this is what we don't understand. Is here we're dealing with ideology. We're not dealing with uh, um, only the creation of uh, one nation. We're talking about a global ideology. Mm. Also a uh, theology. Absolutely, theology. absolute theology. <clears throat> so you can't bomb a theology or you know, an ideology. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another problem that is quite uh, acute, as it seems, at least in the media, North Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 you say that we have quite a few misunderstandings about North Korea. What is North Korea in your definition? Well, I, yes, I think, you know, as we misunderstood ISIS, we are misunderstanding North Korea. I mean, North Korea is not a communist country. It's a, a nationalistic country. Um, if you look at the history of North Korea, the country was created by the great leader, Kim Il-sung, um, right after, you know, World War II, um, after long domination by the Japanese. Uh, it, it, it was a freedom movement. Uh, it was also a movement that brought back an identity to a population that had been oppressed uh, for a very long time. Uh, so uh, the presence of the Americans uh, in, uh, in 1950 was very much resented as yet another uh, invasion of the country. And the American cut the country in two. Um, and then ever since, of course, they have used South Korea as a sort of military stronghold to uh, challenge North Korea. So the North Koreans have been growing up, this generation today has been growing up with this constant threat, you know, present, uh, just, you know, next door. Um, so I, I think, you know, we misunderstood the concept also of oppression because we think the population is oppressed. We think, you know, the population wants to be part of the West. But in reality, this is a very strong nationalistic country. It's a country that wants to have its own identity. And the other interesting thing, of course, is uh, the North Korea went through really harsh economic uh, time after the fall of the Berlin Wall, as it happened to Cuba, because these were countries that were kept alive, uh, economically speaking, by the aid and trade with the Soviet Union. So the famine that we saw in the 1990 was very much related to the fact that suddenly the Soviet Union disappeared. But all of this has been overcome. Today, if you look at the economy of North Korea, it's actually doing very well. It's selling weapons, Everywhere, I mean, you see in the Middle East and Africa, with huge production of weapons. It's also selling coal, with a huge production of coal in the north. And of course, sells to China, but sells also to other countries related to China. So the economy is not as bad as it was in the 1990s. And finally, 
Kim uh, Jong-un, who is you know, this new leader, he came to power in 2012, but he had never lived in North Korea until 2011. He was uh, brought back because the father was very ill and um, he was educated in the West. He's a very modern leader. I mean, he's using a sort of modern approach. So he's always on TV, he's always opening new schools or hospitals, shaking hands with people, he's having lunch and dinner with normal North Koreans. So he, he has the kind of modern approach. Uh, when he came to power, China, offer to the Obama administration the opportunity to sit down at the table and negotiate a sort of agreement, a nuclear agreement. And the U.S. refused, saying, no, we're not coming to the table unless they renounce the nuclear program. And, of course, the Chinese said, well, the purpose of the meeting is to negotiate a sort of deal. So, of course, they're not going to do that. So the U.S. refused to engage and that was a tremendous opportunity because this was a new leader. And it is also a very intelligent leader. I mean, he managed to purge the top-ranking uh, um, generals uh, uh, of the people that were threatening uh, his own power. He actually executed his own uncle. That's not a very nice thing to do. It's, it's not a very nice <laughs> thing to do, but he, his own uncle was uh, extremely corrupted mm-hmm. um, and his own uncle was also the link with Beijing so that's these are all interesting uh, points um, he's still I mean he's very young but he's still there which is quite remarkable mm. now the, the nuclear program has been accelerated by him because he understood that the nuclear power is the only reason why North Korea is still there. Mm-hmm. But you also call it uh, you call it a nationalist state, but mm. you also call it a fascist state, right? Yes, it is a In fascist. Well, it is a fascist state be- because, of course, there is this cult of superiority. So the nationalism uh, um, is very similar to a certain extent, I think, to the Italian fascism, uh, whereby the idea of being superior, the idea that, you know, our country is actually better than anybody else. And by the way, uh, one of the reasons why Italy did so well in the 1930s and was not hit by the big crash of 29 is because he had an autarchic policy. So the country was close to the world. And the policy of Mussolini was we have to be self-sufficient. We should not depend on the world, which is exactly the same kind of approach that North Korea has been pursuing. Not necessarily because the world is not interested or because of the sanction, but because this is an element of strength, not depending on the rest of the world. But... um I'm thinking the, these nuclear tests that he's doing mm-hmm. now, or these missile tests and everything, um, won't, I mean, even if he's acting rationally in the sense that he he doesn't start the first sort of uh, true attack on America, how do we know that Trump doesn't do that? Yeah, he, I mean, he has a low impulse control, obviously. Well, I think, uh, yes, I, I, I think uh, that uh, this is the big uh, question mark. Um, 
I, North Korea is not going to attack the U.S. The nuclear uh, power, the development of a weapon that could reach the U.S., uh, hypothetically, uh, because we don't know how long it's going to take, is not going to be a weapon to be used. It is a weapon, it's a deterrent. Mm. All the nuclear weapons are deterrent. The, the weapon was a political power only when one country had it which is, you know, the U.S., and this is why they use it in Japan. But as soon as the Soviet Union had the weapon, the weapon was meaningless, because if you have two countries with the weapon, whoever drops the first bomb is going to get the second one. Mm. So it's meaningless, absolutely meaningless. Now, Trump has been using a rhetoric, which is the, the bully kind of rhetoric, mm. towards North Korea, but it's only words is actually doing nothing. Mm. But how do you know he doesn't sort of lose well, his temper? Well, I mean, we don't know if he's going to lose his temper, but I don't think that he will lose his temper, meaning I don't think that Trump... I mean, I, I don't think Trump is that kind of individual that um, that will press the button. I mean, whoever pressed the button first knows that this is the end mm. of, you know, most of the world. I mean, this is not... But a, many psychiatrists in America says that his mental status is not good. I mean, you know this discussion. That yes, I know this discussion, but I doubt it that um, uh, the, uh, he has that kind of power. Um, the, the U.S. system is a system of check and balances, uh, it's been built purposely to prevent uh, a dictatorship. Uh, the check and balances, of course, uh, are not so tight when it comes to co the commander-in-chief. Uh, I mean, he has that power in case of emergency. But I don't think that the system uh, will let him press the button simply because he's going to have a panic attack at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm, I'm fairly... Good to hear. Yes. No, I mean, see, from that point of view, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fairly relaxed about that. Uh, what I worry is actually the development uh, of the crisis uh, with China and, and Russia. Because, I mean, you know, North Korea has two borders uh, in the north, one with China and the other one with Russia. And, and of course, none of these countries will want uh, a regime which is, you know, pro-U.S. <laughs> uh, on their borders. So to a certain extent, North Korea is a buffer for them. So I worry about that kind of escalation of tension between you know, these superpowers. Mm, okay. So finally, one last question. What, uh, We've had almost a year with, with Trump now. Uh, do you think he will stay the whole uh, mandate period out? I, I think we have to see what's happened with the um, midterm election. So if the Republicans lose the control of the Congress and the Senate, the impeachment could become an option. Mm. Although, see, they haven't done it yet. Mm. Um, which is interesting. We've done what, you mean? The impeachment. No. Because, I mean, the only thing, the only way to get rid of Trump is through impeachment. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they but probably have to wait for the midterm election. Yeah. So, I mean, if they, if the midterm election uh, show that, 
And generally, this is what's happened. You know, that by midterm election, the 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 swing voters, you know, move to the opposition yeah. because you know they're not happy. Nobody's ever happy. Anyway. That happened so, with Obama, right? Yeah, it yeah. happened with Obama. Yeah, it happened. You know, with Clinton also. Mm. So the midterm election is key. Um, then maybe they will do it, but I think it looks uh, unlikely because on what basis are going to impeach him because there are many stories uh, floating but uh, it seems that so far nothing has really solidified um, so I think you know we'll have uh, to wait and see for those elections mm. but if he survives I think there are good uh, chances that he's going to be re-elected because I mean, so? well who is there to, to share this <laughs> What's the alternative? I mean, the, the, I don't see, I don't see the opposition producing uh, a leader that is strong enough, popular enough, you know, to challenge that mm. kind of populism rhetoric that Trump is pursuing. And also, I think the media is doing a terrible job because you know, the more the media concentrate on the eye ills of his wife. Uh, instead of concentrating on real you know, issues, the more people will tend to like them mm. because people do not like the media. Yeah. What do you think about Timothy Snyder's warnings about uh, that, his, his similarities with the 30s, European 30s, uh, you know? Yeah, I think you know, there are a lot of similarities with, uh, with the 1930s, although... If you look at the um, economic indicators, it looks at uh, the economy, the world economy, is actually on an upturn. Um, of course, you, the, you will have to disaggregate all this uh, different data and discover that yes, it's on the upturn because technology. If you look at uh, Wall Street, for example, you know the rally is all produced by technological companies like Apple, for example, you know Microsoft. But we have uh, the real estate uh, um, stocks and industrial stocks still falling. So, you know, you still have an economy that is growing, but only a segment of this economy, which is not the super productive segment, which is growing. But this there will be a trickle down effect for sure. So. If the economy really is growing at uh, global level and we start seeing good numbers uh, next year and the year after, I think you know Trump will claim uh, mm. that he did it. Okay, I see. Okay, okay. Thank you so much for coming. Thank Thanks. you. Bye.